So that's page 735, and it's Isaiah 48. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron, your forehead was bronze. Therefore I told you these things long ago, before they happened. I announced them to you, so that you could not say, my images brought them about, my wooden image and metal god ordained them. You had heard these things. Look them all. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. They have not heard of them before today. So you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood. From of old, your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. From my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. For I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Listen to me, Jacob. Israel, whom I have called, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own land laid on the foundations of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him, I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there, and now the sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his spirit. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea, your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out nor destroyed from before me. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from there for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. This is God's word. Alma, thank you. Morning, everyone. My name's Scott. 
I'm the student minister. Shall we pray as we come to this uh, last, uh, last sermon in this little section of Isaiah? Let's pray together. Father, we have heard again and again from your word these weeks of comfort, of the comfort of knowing that you are the Lord, that you are in control, and that you will bring an end to your people's suffering. Father, as we get to to this last one, and the call is to to trust you, and to trust you and to leave Babylon, Father, would we obey? Would we hear it, really hear it, and live um, as a result, or live differently as a result of what we hear? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do we, um, do we take sin seriously enough that we'd actually run away from it? Um, I wonder when, when the last time you actually did that uh, was. Is, is that even a, a, an option in your mind as you uh, struggle with sin? Because here in Isaiah 48, God calls his people to flee um, idolatry, to leave sin behind and get out. Leave Babylon, he says, get out. For us, um, we're not in Babylon. The Lord may not be calling us to, uh, the, the application is not, get out of London. Um, it's, it's not as, as dramatic as that, but it is as serious when it comes to fleeing from sin. So that, that, that call to flee, we get in the New Testament a few times. Here are some of the things that the New Testament would urge us to flee from. And 1 Timothy 6 would say, flee from the love of money. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, flee from idolatry. Flee, leave it behind. It is that serious. That is the choice that Israel are called to make in, in Isaiah 48. As they get to the end of this section, they're in exile in Babylon. They're supposed to be God's servant. They have the task of proclaiming God's glory uh, to the nations, to the ends of the earth. But they are not doing that. Uh, they are failing time and time again. They've been in Babylon for so long that they're almost no different to the Babylonians. They've become comfortable there. They're beginning to, to fit in. They're making a go of it. They're putting down roots. Maybe they're even enjoying it. It's starting to feel like home. And slowly they've got sucked in to the Babylonian way of life. And Babylon, right, right throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, is, is a picture of human pride and wickedness, rebellion against God, right from, from Genesis 7 and the Tower of Babel through here to the time of exile and on into Revelation. Here in Isaiah, it is the superpower, the great city of the world, full of culture and influence and wealth. It is shiny, it is impressive, and it is dazzling for the Israelites. And there they are, little Israel, amongst this huge superpower. And on the outside, they, they might still look like God's people, but in reality, they've begun to trust in the very same idols of Babylon, human pride, all that they can accomplish, 
the shiny impressiveness of it all. But then in in chapters 46 and 47, which we haven't had read, but um, God makes clear Babylon is going to be judged for its wickedness. The greatness of Babylon will soon be nothing. And so God's people have got to choose. Are you going to trust in the idols of Babylon as they head for destruction? Or are you going to trust in the Lord and flee Babylon? They have to make a choice. And it's serious. Four times in this chapter, God commands them to listen. Listen to what I am telling you, he says. Verse 1, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16. Excuse me, listen. You've got to make a choice. It's that serious. So we'll work work through it like this. We'll, We'll see three things that the Lord calls on them to do. The Lord tells them, firstly, don't claim that you trust me, but do come near to your Savior. And then the big application of the whole section, thirdly, trust me and leave Babylon. That's where we're heading. Trust me and leave Babylon. So he says, uh, the Lord says, firstly, don't claim you can trust me. Verses 1 to 11. From verse 1 of chapter 48. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob. You who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah. See, see the people of Israel, they, they still talk about themselves as God's people. That is who they are. But functionally, well, they're just going through the motions of trust in him. He, Isaiah goes on, you, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizens of the holy city, and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the, God, the Lord Almighty is his name. See, on the outside, these Israelites, they're saying the right things. But ultimately, the Lord says, there is no truth or righteousness in your claim to belong to me. They are just empty words. So they may, they may well still be saying, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But in reality, they're, they're hedging their bets. They've got many gods that they're trusting in, the gods of Babylon. They might well say, we don't belong in Babylon. We're we're citizens of of Jerusalem, God's city. But really, they've, they've begun to enjoy life in Babylon just a bit too much. They cannot claim to truly be trusting in God. And that, that's shown in the way that they're living in their stubborn self-reliance. So even when the Lord has told them hundreds of years before and that he's going to save them through Cyrus, and he reminds them of that again in, in verse 3. That's what he's talking about in, in these first, uh, this first little section from verse 3. I foretold, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. He's talking there about the plan uh, that Cyrus will rescue them and uh, send them back uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem. But the Lord says, for I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. That's not a good thing. That's not a compliment. That's not saying you've, you've been working out strong neck. That's saying you are so rigid and so stubborn, it, you're unwilling to bow down. You're like an idol. Your neck is so stiff, you will not submit to the Lord. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Again, not a compliment. 
That is, I've told you time and time again to trust me, that you can do that, that I'm powerful, and yet it just, it bounces off. It is like your head is made of bronze. Verse 5, therefore I told you these things long ago, before they happened, I announced them to you, so that you could not say, my image is brought them about, my wooden image and metal God ordained them. You've heard these things, look at them all, will you not admit them? The implied answer here is no, they will not admit them. They're still saying, my gods did this. The ones that I made. Wasn't I so clever to to, to trust in these things that have now rescued me, these idols? And sometimes it, it is possible for us to do the same, isn't it? We might be going through the motions of being a Christian. We're at church and we're serving. But functionally, and we're not actually trusting God in, in the day-to-day things or in the big things. One way to diagnose that is to think, what is the thing I'm actually living for? What is the thing I could not live without? If you took it away tomorrow, I would be lost whether it's something as simple as as the next paycheck or uh, the savings in the bank or the status that your career gives you or the performance of your kids. Whatever it might be, we all have these little gods that we look to and say, "I, I, I brought this about. I did this. It's easy to get into that sort of habit, isn't it? And it's exactly what the Israelites are doing. Even as God tells them he'll rescue them. It's what they'll keep doing, even as God reveals an even bigger plan of rescue. Not just through Cyrus, a pagan king, but through a better servant. Verse 6, from now on I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now, not long ago. You have not heard of them before today, so you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood From of old, your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. God God is dropping hints here that he's going to be even more gracious to them. And still they're going to be tempted to say, oh yeah, I, I knew that would happen. God is calling them to listen. He's telling them what he's going to do, but their ears are are, are shut, just like the idols. They will not listen what the Lord is saying. They're refusing to listen. I'm sure this never happens to you, but um, imagine a situation where you you tell someone, maybe someone that you live with or a good friend, you tell them an important piece of news that's, you know, some some story about someone else, something something big. And they end up saying, yeah, I know that. I told you that last week. And you go, did you? Um, I I don't remember. Yeah, no, I, I told you that. Sometimes we, we hear things, but we don't listen. We retell a story as if it's our story, and we weren't even listening when it was told to us. That is Israel. They've been told this thing again and again, and yet they're not listening. And if it was down to, to their listening... 
Well, they would have been wiped out already. The fact God hasn't destroyed them has nothing to do with them, actually. It is all because of God's concern for his name. Verse 9, for my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I will hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I don't know if you're an expert on, on refining silver, but apparently when you refine silver, and you, you, you burn it, you keep it, you keep it in the fire until everything else is gone. You know, all the impurities. You just keep going, keep going, keep going until the only thing that's left is the silver. God's point here is you, he couldn't have done that with Israel. He couldn't have kept refining, kept refining until all the impurity was gone because there was no silver. There was nothing good in them. The only reason they have not been completely destroyed is that God has spared his full refining. He's taken them into exile so that they would learn to trust him. Why? Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God's people have failed to be his servant. And God says, that, that is reflecting badly on me. We know that, don't we? Allow, allow me one mention of the rugby this morning, okay? Just, just, just one mention. I, re, I put my pink shirt on for Mother's Day instead of my green um, shirt that I wanted to put on. One, one mention. When, when, a, when a team does badly, when they, make, you know, when they make a mistake in any sport, you know, when they fumble it or something goes wrong, and if you noticed on the, on the television, they'll often cut to the manager or the coach for their, for their immediate reaction. Some are cool and calm and some are like, you, you know, what are you doing? That is, not, that is not what I told you to do. We, 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 we've been over this. We ran the drill again and again and you've just, you've messed it up again. They want the reaction from, from, the, from the manager. Here are God's people, but they are rubbish at it. They just keep messing it up. And God says, I cannot allow my name to be ridiculed. I cannot allow the nations around to say, these people are supposed to be Yahweh's people. They're supposed to be God's people. But he's, he's obviously abandoned them. Yahweh must be no God at all. He cannot allow that to happen. And so he's going to hold back his judgment for, their own, for, for his own sake, not theirs. God says, don't claim you trust me when the evidence in your lives is otherwise. But he is still gracious to them. And so he tells them, secondly, do come near to your Savior. Do come near to your Savior. Verse 12, listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. We've seen this time and time again in this bit of Isaiah, haven't we? Despite Israel's failure, God is still in control. He's in control of everything. He is the God of the whole world. The idols are nothing. They know nothing, but God knows it all and is in control of it all. So he'll sort it out. Verse 14, come together, all you idols, all of you, pardon me, come together, all of you, and listen, 
Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. If you remember, the the Lord's chosen ally is Cyrus and the Persian king. And Cyrus is going to come and and, and take uh, take over Babylon. For all of Babylon's greatness and impressiveness, it will be nothing. God will bring it to an end. And the fact that he does that through Cyrus, a pagan king, is just all the more evidence of of the Lord's control. We've seen that time again, haven't we? we? We've had it quite a lot in this section. But there is more going on here as well. Or at least there seems to be. There's hints at at something more than just Cyrus as the one who will bring the people back to Jerusalem. Verse 16. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his spirit. It's a sort of funny little bit, isn't it? Who, Who is that? Who's speaking there? The NIV's not, not quite sure what to do with it. It doesn't sort of put it in quote marks. Who is speaking? Is it, is it Cyrus, the pagan king? We thought last week that Cyrus is the Lord's instrument. But we never get a suggestion that Cyrus is a believer or that he has God's spirit. So who is this? Who is it? Well, the answer comes in, in the next big section, the next big chunk of, of Isaiah. Um, but as we're, as we're sort of wrapping up Isaiah for a bit, we won't come to it for a year, so allow me um, to, to give you a few spoilers um, ahead of time. Um, from chapter 49, we, we see that this is talking about the new servant who is much better um, than Cyrus. The promises that this servant brings are far greater even than the return from Babylon. How is, how is this new servant better? Well, he's not a pagan king. He's one from within Israel. He's the true servant of God. He will obey God and proclaim God's glory to the nations. He will rescue the people, not, not only from, from a physical um, exile in Babylon, but from their sin. He won't only be the the savior for Israel, he'll be the savior for all people. And he won't only hold back God's wrath, he will bear God's wrath for his people. So perhaps most famously in Isaiah 53, we hear this of, of, of the servant. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. There is a servant coming who will bear the sin of God's people and God's wrath against them. It is talking about Jesus, isn't it? We'll see, we'll see that when we, when we come back to Isaiah. It is clearly speaking of Jesus time and time again. Cyrus plays a role, but, but he's just the warm-up act. Jesus is, is the main thing. If you've ever, ever been to a concert uh, recently, now that they're sort of back up and running post-COVID, you get the warm-up act, don't you? 
And they're, they're sort of there to, to, you know, get the crowd going and, and get everyone in, you know, in the right, right frame of mind. But half the time, you, you've never really heard of them, and you can't really remember their songs. Maybe you bought their CD once upon a time, but you, you're not there for the warm-up act. You're there for the, for the main thing. In Jesus, we, we have the main act. We have the one who Cyrus just a little, little picture of, a little warm-up for. We have in full what the Israelites just had hints of. God's promised to rescue them through his Savior. And so now they have to make a choice. Are they going to stick with Babylon as it faces judgment? Or are they going to trust in the Lord and leave Babylon Verse 17. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Picture of just endless. It never would have stopped. It would have just kept, kept coming like a river. Your well-being like the waves of the sea. Again, a picture of just wave after wave just keeps coming. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out nor destroyed from before me. As the Lord puts this choice before them, you're going to trust me, you're going to trust Babylon. He says, look at what is being offered to you. Look at the blessings that could have been yours if only you'd listen. If only you'd listen. Because they've refused to listen, they are missing out on the peace that they long for. But they have an opportunity now to, to display it, to, to actually take a step and trust in God. High verse 20. Leave Babylon. Flee from the Babylonians. How are they going to actually physically demonstrate that they are trusting in the Lord and not in the idols of Babylon? Well, they need to leave. They need to flee. They've lived in, in Babylon for years, but now is the time to choose. And the point here is it, is, it should not be a hard choice. Are we going to stay in Babylon and be judged with them? Or are we going to trust in the Lord who has promised to rescue us and to bless us it shouldn't be a hard choice. That's why, in verse 20, they should be able to announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. This is what God does. He rescues his people. He's done it before. In verse 21, you get these hints of the exodus um, as, as God provides for his people in the wilderness. And so the point is, come on, Israel. It is not hard and yet, it seems that maybe they won't trust in the Lord. They are still not listening. Chapter ends in a slightly strange way, doesn't it? Verse 22, it's not the ending you expect. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's peace again. Just, just like God had promised his people peace and like a river, well, on the opposite side, there is no peace for those who refuse to listen to him. And you think, wow, Israel, are you really tempted to stay in Babylon? 
I mean, that's nuts. That is literally crazy. And yet, sometimes we choose things that are crazy. God doesn't call us to, to, to leave a, a physical city, but he does call us to flee from sin, to give up our idols and, and to trust him. Whether it's love of money, sexual immorality, the, the, the idolatry of our culture, the things that our culture worships, success, family. And the point is, it, it shouldn't be a hard sell, should it? When the Lord calls us to, to trust in him and enjoy all, um, uh, all that he has offered, life in its fullness, peace with him, with others, we still, we still just want to cling to those little gods, don't we? We'll stick with, with just going through the motions when it comes to Christian things, but really we'll, we'll, we'll trust in other things. The Lord says, leave Babylon, flee from sin. As we close, what would it mean for you? What if God was calling you to, to leave Babylon, to flee from sin? What's the thing he'd be asking you to give up, to flee from, to change? Maybe it would be a, a, a drastic change. But maybe it would be smaller. Maybe it would be as, as you set out on the, the, the morning commute or the school run or whatever it is that, that, that easily becomes an idol. It's reminding yourself, this thing does not define me. I belong to the Lord. I am not trusting. I will not trust in these things. I will trust in the Lord. There are sins that, that the Lord calls us to flee from. Just get out of there. It is that serious. He calls us to listen to what he's saying. To not claim that we trust him if we keep rejecting his commands, his savior, and holding on to our, our little gods. He sent Jesus to redeem us from sin and from idolatry. We have a much better servant even in these Israelites. Maybe it's not straightforward. For the Israelites, it was just get out. But what is it for us? Where is it that, that we need to actively, deliberately trust in him and flee, flee from sin? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious to your people in, in showing them here that the foolishness of sticking with Babylon and in calling them to, to trust you as they, as they flee, as they leave. Father, that is for their good. And yet, Father, we, we do find it hard to see sometimes that, that in our own lives. But your call for us to, to flee from sin, to leave it behind is for our good. Father, would we trust that, that because of your son, Jesus, there is freedom from sin, 
There is a, a life that is far better than the one that, that the gods of this world promise. And would you show us what it means to actively flee from them and trust in you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.